The Life of Michael Servetus by James Waddle Alexander. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The burning of Servetus has been the favourite theme of all the enemies of Calvin and Calvinism. When all other arguments have failed, this has been resorted to, as if even admitting all the allegations of his worst foes, the reformer's doctrine were hereby in any degree invalidated. Papists, errorists, and infidels have here joined their forces and united in the outcry against their common scourge. Thousands who have never gone into one historical source or consulted one authentic document have ventured to pronounce upon the case. In an affair not only perplexing as to the extent and remoteness of the testimony, but difficult from its involving the nicest questions of jurisprudence, we find men totally ignorant of both the facts and the law, adventuring conclusive judgments. Learned authors have gone out of their way, in the midst of scientific disputations, to inform us that Calvin burned Servetus and among the ranks of all who dislike sound doctrine the clinching argument for these two hundred years and more has been calvin burned servetus if for the sake of argument it should be conceded that john calvin did in very deed counsel procure and effect the execution of this wretched spaniard very little would be gained by those who are most interested in establishing the charge for as a mere historical incident it is by no means solitary it stands as one of a hundred parallel cases the prominency which it has obtained is due to the eminence of the actors, but chiefly to the enmity indulged towards the doctrines of the reformer. If it were not for this, one might well suppose from the frequency, urgency, and heat with which the charge is reiterated that it was a signal, peculiar, and unparalleled phenomenon of persecuting intolerance, that it was opposed to the acknowledged principles of the age in which it took place, that it fell under the rebuke and detestation of all the victim's contemporaries, that so atrocious an act of cruelty was reprobated by the leading papists or certainly by the leading reformers that it was unexampled in the history of the reformed churches that germany switzerland france and england were pure from any similar enormity and that it was the last flagrant eruption of a vindictive crater long since extinct let it be repeated even if it were true that john calvin did extend the torch to the injured servetus the foregoing suppositions might seem natural when the fact is dwelt on and rehearsed by every stripling theologist who chooses to run a tilt with the shade of a hero or every physician lawyer or declaimer whose tongue blisters at uttering the name of a predestinarian every student of history knows that every one of these suppositions is a falsity that the age was an age of persecution in which the church still retaining many scales of popish prejudice was purblind to the rights of conscience that persecutions for heresy were universal and punishment of heretics practised in the freest countries under heaven that this deplorable event was in perfect agreement with the principles of the statesmen and theologians of that day that when the humbling fact occurred it was approved and upheld by the very reformers whom it is attempted to exalt above calvin in this comparison not excepting the gentle melanchthon that similar executions before and after blacken the history of the church in germany switzerland france and even england moreover every competent historian is informed that the excellent cranmer lies under the same or worse imputations and that a multitude of hapless men and women fell under the secular arm for spiritual offences before the principle of liberty of conscience was established the human mind comes slowly to the acknowledgment even of great and seemingly plain truths 
and there is no one of the grand fundamental principles of our own enlightened age which men were so slow to receive as this of the rights of conscience hence and let the remark be pondered in this investigation never was it fully and distinctly recognized as a principle in any government until the time of roger williams and the settling of rhode island and when this good but eccentric man wrote against the bloody tenant of persecution for cause of conscience it was one of the pilgrim race it was john cotton of boston who published in accordance with the spirit of the whole age his bloody tenant washed and made white in the blood of the lamb were it then conclusively made out that calvin acted the part of a determined persecutor while we should both lament and blame as we do in the case of cranmer and the puritans we should not be astonished nor should we renounce the man or his system to expect anything else would be to expect unparalleled exaltation above the age in which he lived and while we do accord as the reformed churches cheerfully accorded to this wonderful servant of christ a great precedency among his brethren while we stand amazed at the progress which one gigantic soul could make through the corruptions of popery and the corruptions of partial reform to great purity and light in doctrine and polity and even political science yet we esteem him human and consequently imperfect and freely grant that in some points he was involved in the same shadows with his coevals and that one of these was the point in question calvin and servetus were both prominent men hence the notoriety of the transaction of all living protestants there was none so much revered by his friends or so much hated by his trembling opponents as the legislator of the reformation and of all the brood of heretics which infested the rising church the most dreaded was michael servetus he was says the mild coleridge a rabid enthusiast and did everything he could in the way of insult and ribaldry to provoke the feeling of the christian church it is our object in the sequel to give a fair statement of the facts in the case not to plead for persecution or to vindicate this instance of it not to exculpate calvin from all participation in it but to furnish the lover of truth with data from which to form a judgment to stop the mouths of ignorant or malicious calumniators and to show in what relation the reformer of geneva stood to this transaction michael servetus was born at villa nueva in aragon in fifteen o nine he called himself villa nueve or villa novius from this place but is said to have declared himself a native of Tudel in navarre at the age of fourteen he is reported to have understood latin greek and hebrew and to have been imbued with the knowledge of philosophy mathematics and scholastic theology m simon however says it is evident by this author's books that it cost him a great deal of trouble to write in latin and servetus himself in the second edition of a book says quod autem ita barbarus confusus et incorrectus prior liber proderit imperitie meae et typographi in curiae ad scribendum est at the age of fifteen he went to italy in the suite of charles v whom he saw crowned at bologna at this time the seeds of anti-trinitarian doctrine began to germinate in italy the sosini and their fellows were then rising it is believed that servetus under these influences adopted his peculiar tenets the late dr mccree expresses his belief that the anti-trinitarian opinions which spread there so widely were introduced into italy by means of his writings from italy he went to germany and thence to switzerland and at basel held a conference with oculampadius with whom he disputed about the trinity in fifteen thirty he then repaired to strasbourg and conferred with capito and with Busser 
the latter was so far overcome with indignation at the impieties of servetus as to say from the pulpit that he deserved to be put to death such was the error and blindness even of one who was surnamed the moderate reformer an error and blindness caught from his romish education before he left basel servetus had prepared a book in which he attacked the orthodox faith respecting the trinity this he left there in the hands of conrad raus a bookseller who sent it to hagnau as it was a dangerous business to print it the author followed his manuscript and published it at the second named place in fifteen thirty one he published a second of like contents in fifteen thirty two the former of these was entitled de trinitatus erroribus libri septem per michaelem servetum alias reves ab argonia hispanum scarcely a copy is known to be extant Morsheim says that both this and the dialogues are barbaro descendi genere conscripti the second work was entitled dialogorum de trinitate libri duo de justitia regni christi capitula quatuor per michaelem servetum etc in this he retracts all that he had said in the preceding not as being false but imperfectly and carelessly and ignorantly written these works were so largely circulated especially in italy that as late as fifteen thirty nine melanchthon felt himself bound to write a caveat against them to the senate of venice servetus passed his time in germany until fifteen thirty three but then finding himself without adherents and awkwardly situated from his ignorance of the language and particularly desirous of studying mathematics and medicine he went to france here he sought notoriety both as a scholar and an author he studied medicine at paris under the instruction of sylvinus and fernel and was graduated master of arts and doctor of physic by the university Beza relates that in this city as early as in fifteen thirty four calvin opposed his doctrines after taking his degrees servetus professed mathematics in the lombard college during this period he was preparing an edition of ptolemy's geography and several medical works being meanwhile in warm contests with the medical faculty we next find him at lyon with frelin a publisher whom he served as corrector of the press after various excursions he settled at chalus and there practised medicine Bozek, the noted enemy and slanderer of calvin and who wrote a memoir for the mere purpose of blasting his character accounts thus for servetus's leaving his settlement this servetus was arrogant and insolent as those have affirmed who knew him at chalus where he lodged with la riviere about the year fifteen forty but was forced to leave that place on account of his extravagancies from chalus he returned to lyon here he fell in with peter palmer archbishop of vienne following him to his see and enjoyed a harbour in his palace while at vienne he worked at a revised edition of pagnin's bible which he furnished with notes abounding in crudity and depravity of doctrine by the intervention of the printer frelin he opened a correspondence with calvin the manner in which servetus conducted himself in this may be seen in his published letters calvin chose to break off all communication with a man who treated him with perpetual arrogance and from this time servetus never ceased to vituperate and oppose the reformer servetus wrote a third work against the orthodox faith and after several ineffectual attempts elsewhere had it printed at vienne in fifteen fifty three this was his famous restitution of christianity attempts have been made to show that it was calvin who caused information to be lodged against servetus with the ecclesiastical authorities 
after a careful examination of the authorities and a full citation of all the witnesses on both sides, M. Chauffby pronounces the charge to be wholly without proof. If it were true, it could show no more than that Calvin did what no good citizen of that generation would have denied to be a praiseworthy act. That Calvin communicated the evidence on which this process was founded, he expressly denies. And this denial must be credited, for, as he says, it is utterly against every presumption that he could correspond with Cardinal Tournon, one of the chief persecutors of the Protestants, and accordingly his virulent foes, Meimburg and Bosek, never hint at such a charge. It is agreed, however, that process was instituted, and the issue was a sentence, that there was not as yet sufficient evidence for an imprisonment. On a second examination the Inquisition seized his person by a finesse, and by a finesse quite as allowable, Servetus escaped from them, June 17, 1553, and betook himself to the Leonus. The process went on in his absence, and according to the usual course of popish trials, resulted in condemnation and sentence that he should be burned alive in a slow fire. This was executed on his effigy and five bales of his books. The unfortunate author, after thus flying from Wien, wandered in places where historians cannot trace him. If Calvin is to be credited, four months elapsed before he arrived at Geneva, where he was arrested, tried, condemned, and executed. There is great diversity of statement in the different accounts as to the length of time he remained at large and the manner of his being apprehended. According to the most unfavourable report, he was discovered at divine worship on the Lord's Day, and his presence was made known to the magistracy by Calvin himself. That this was done, if done at all, from personal enmity rather than mistaken zeal for a code of laws against heresy, which all the world then approved, is only asserted, can never be proved, is by no means probable, and will be rejected by impartial history as the conjecture of prejudice. Such writers as Gibbon and Roscoe have vented much bitter crimination on this pretended motive. We may ask, with a late eminent historian, is it not with justice that it has been surmised that philosophers, who not only iniquitously resolved to try men of the sixteenth century by rules and principles scarcely admitted before the eighteenth, but greedily receive every calumny or insinuation that false witnesses can utter against them, and indulge in the most extravagant invectives in setting forth their misdeeds, had they themselves happened to live three centuries back, would not have been content to smite only with the tongue or the pen, but would eagerly have grasped the sword or the torch. We have conducted this brief narrative thus far without any account of the opinions charged against this unhappy fugitive. As we approach the critical and final act of the sad drama, it becomes proper to state, calmly and from the best sources, the nature of those tenets which rendered him obnoxious to the laws and let no one undertake to discuss this subject who is so ignorant of history as not to know that in this day and throughout christendom heresy especially when joined with blasphemy was a capital crime in the noonday of civil and religious freedom a child may detect the fallacy of the argument that heresy which slays the soul should have as dire a penalty as murder which slays only the body but the roman catholic the protestant and the Socinian of the sixteenth century assented to this argument According to the standard of the times, Servetus was a heretic. The following sketch of his published opinions is very far below their enormity, for details are purposely omitted. The authorities may be seen at great length in the Life of Servetus by M. Chauffier. Such is the jumble of inconsistent crudities in the works of this writer, that it is impossible to refer his tenets to any existing title in the nomenclature of error. He was not a cool speculator, but a hasty enthusiast. At the same time he was furiously opposed to many of the doctrines always regarded as fundamental in the Church of Christ. 
it was not the favourite dogmas of calvin as some ignorantly or maliciously assert which this heretic made it his business to impugn it was not predestination special grace perseverance or any of the tenets for which the reformed churches particularly contended which were assaulted in his works his shafts were aimed at more vital parts the very nature of god the trinity the incarnation and similar foundations of our holy faith he was at once a pantheist an anti-trinitarian and a materialist not content with philosophizing about the personality of god he maintained that god is the universe and that the universe is god according to him god is the infinite ocean of substance the essence of all things not only the devil is in god as also depraved spirits but hell is no other thing but god himself as god is the principle and end of all things so they return at last to him and in going into eternal fire demons shall go to god himself but it was the doctrine of the holy trinity that he set himself chiefly to impugn in his first book he was more cautious than in those which followed the doctrine of the earliest was nearer to sabellianism than to anything else we have the authority of the ministers of zurich for saying that he often called the trinity of the orthodox a triple monster a three-headed cerberus imaginary gods and finally visionary and three-headed devils that he reviled athanasius and augustine as trinitarians that is atheists to enlarge upon his other errors and heresies respecting the creation the immortality of the soul regeneration etc would be unnecessary our object is not to detail the vagaries of an enthusiast whose works indicate a perversion of mind almost amounting to insanity still less is it our wish so to represent his pestiferous errors as to convey the idea that it was right to visit them with secular penalties and a cruel death we reject the opinion nor is it a merit in any one to do so at this time when all reasonable christians do the same but we only mean to show that the tenets of servetus were such as might naturally lead even good men in the twilight of religious liberty to recognize the duty of surrendering him to the secular arm that calvin so thought is not surprising as we have the fullest evidence to make it probable that any one of the prominent men of the age whether churchman or laity whether romanist or protestant would have held the same opinion accordingly as soon as calvin discovered that servetus was in the city he used means to have him apprehended the words of calvin are he thought perhaps to pass through this city why he came hither is not known but seeing that he was recognized i thought it right that he should be detained it was necessary that the prosecutor should be personally held in durance while the process was pending and calvin used the intervention of nicholas de la fontaine a student belonging to his household great reproach has been cast on the reformer for this step as if it had been his intention to shun the appearance of being active in the affair but he declares most fully the contrary i declare frankly that since according to the law and custom of the city none can be imprisoned for any crime without an accuser or prior information i have made it so that a party should be found to accuse him not denying but the action laid against him was drawn by my advice in order to commence the process in our account of the trial we follow chauffepierre in whose impartial statement are found abundant extracts and references to authentic documents of which most are beyond the reach of american students and therefore need not be expressly cited servetus first appeared august fourteenth fifteen fifty three la fontaine adduced in evidence the printed books and a manuscript which was owned by the author though it had been several years lying in the hands of calvin on the fifteenth the examination upon the same articles proceeded on the seventeenth la fontaine and a certain german named caledon 
who is now associated with him in the prosecution, produced letters from Oculamparius and passages from Melanchthon showing that Servetus had been condemned in Germany. They likewise cited further passages of a heretical character. On the 21st he appeared again, and after the course of the ordinary investigations had proceeded, he conferred or disputed with Calvin on certain questions respecting the Trinity. This conference, however it may have been misrepresented, was not contrary to the prisoner's interest. Indeed, it should seem that his abettors complained that there was not sufficient license allowed for frequent disputations. The judges then ordered that the books which Servetus required for his answer should be brought at his expense, and that he should retain those which Calvin had cited. On the 22nd, Servetus sent a letter to the syndics and council, entering a plea to their jurisdiction, maintaining that it was unchristian to institute a capital prosecution for religious opinion, declaring that the ancient doctrine allowed merely the banishment even of such as Arius himself, and praying that he might have an advocate. The reader, while he weeps over the prejudice which could disregard pleas so reasonable, will remember that even in England, long since the Reformation, prisoners have been denied counsel to plead their cause before a jury in any felony, whether it be capital, within the benefit of clergy, or a case of petite larceny. On the 28th, new articles of accusation were brought forward, and among other offences he was charged with the Anabaptist error about the power of the magistrate. During these protracted investigations he persisted in avowing his tenants, and his determination to avow them, unless he should be convinced. Even when charged with his indecent railings and dreadful blasphemies, he made no excuse. I confess, said he, I have written so, and when you shall teach me otherwise, I will not only embrace it, but will kiss the ground you walk on. In the meantime, information had most unnecessarily and ungenerously been sent to Wien of the arrest of Servetus. On the last day of August, an officer from that city appeared before the Council of Geneva with a copy of their sentence and a request that the prisoner should be remanded to them. It was left to his choice, and, as was most natural, he rejected the harsh proposal and pathetically besought that he might be judged by the magistrates of Geneva. Hitherto we find nothing in the conduct of Calvin inconsistent with the standard of belief and feeling at that day. It is melancholy to observe how this important circumstance is overlooked by those who, from a hasty induction of mistaken facts, attribute to personal malice the whole of his conduct. Let it never be forgotten that the proceeding of a democratical city and a judicial council is one thing, and the ministerial and subordinate act of their pastor and teacher another thing. And even though the latter might willingly appear in the case as prosecutor, witness, or expounder of theological opinions, we are not to charge him with every enormity of the syndics and council, especially as it is a matter of history that the faction which was at that juncture dominant in the council of Geneva was opposed to the reformer. Plainly unjust it is, then, to repeat, for the thousandth time, that we are at liberty to consider every act of that body as emanating from Calvin. This charge of vicious and vindictive interference has been repelled by several impartial historians. Calvin, says M. La Roche, never came into the court but when he was commanded, and there he did nothing but by the order of his master. Upon every emergency, it seems, they had recourse to divines, to consult with them, to confer with prisoners, to direct interrogations, to make extracts, examine answers, and many other things of this kind. I believe, in the station this pastor of Geneva was in, they were afraid of transgressing, if they did anything without him. But why represent him as an impertinent hypocrite, who intruded himself by his office in this affair, or as an implacable enemy who earnestly solicited Servetus's death? and here it is but fair to let the defamed reformer speak a word for himself. The extract is from his French works as cited by La Chapelle. I will not deny, 
but that he was made prisoner upon my application but after he was convicted of his heresies every one knows that i did not in the least insist that he should be punished with death and as to the truth of what i say not only all good men will bear me witness but i defy all malicious men to say it is not so the proceeding has shown with what intention i did it for when i and my brethren i mean all the ministers of the gospel were called it was not owing to us that he had not full liberty given him of conferring and treating with the articles wherein he has erred in an amicable manner with us it was on the first day of september that the judges again availed themselves of calvin's aid in procuring an extract of offensive propositions in the very words of servetus these were thirty-eight in number they were put into the author's hands that he might answer explain or retract he wrote a reply and this in its turn was answered by calvin the answer of calvin was likewise delivered to servetus who made notes upon it the reader who would pursue the subject into its lesser windings may find all these documents among calvin's opuscula a consultation of these will do more to show the virulence and headstrong fury of servetus than any second-hand statement about a fortnight was spent in these proceedings on the fifteenth servetus petitioned that his cause might be referred to the council of two hundred in which body it should be observed the sovereignty of the commonwealth resided it is believed says the cautious Chauffepierre, that this request was suggested to him by calvin's enemies who contributed as much and even more than he to servetus's destruction believing himself well supported he observed no measures with calvin or his judges if he had the least modesty or discretion i doubt not but he might have brought himself off but flattering himself with a triumph over calvin by the credit of the party which opposed this reformer he was the victim of his pride and prejudice this is the only way of explaining his constant conduct at geneva in all respects so different from his behaviour at Wien. the hopes of servetus from the city faction must have been strong as we find him on the twenty-second of september petitioning that calvin should be punished as a calumniator on the tenth of october he made a new request from which it appears that his situation in the prison was very miserable it is common to charge the persecution of servetus upon calvin alone and the undiscriminating compilers of our biographical dictionaries without adducing an authority dogmatically declare that the reformer of geneva acted out of his mere personal hatred it is glaringly false it is not for us to say how much false fire mingled with the zeal of calvin but we are well informed that not only he but all protestant europe looked upon it as one common cause of truth from what has been already said it is plain that the case was not precipitately issued and at the point of time which our sketch has reached the magistrates of geneva determined to consult the swiss cantons for this purpose they sent to them the restitution of christianity with calvin's papers and the prisoner's answers and requested the opinion of the swiss theologians upon the subject the unanimous reply was that the magistrates of geneva ought to restrain servetus and to prevent the spread of his errors painful as the conclusion is it cannot be evaded that the judgment of john calvin was simply the judgment of all the helvetic christians too nearly allied alas to the popish errors from which they had half escaped but palliated by the circumstances m d'alwerden the great authority of mr roscoe in his hasty and petulant censures pretends that calvin kept back from the press all these letters except the one from zurich but the letters are happily extant to give triumphant refutation to the slander and whoever reads them will conclude with la chapelle that all the churches of switzerland agreed to punish servetus capitally 
since they all concurred in testifying their utmost abhorrence of his heresies and requiring that this outrage should not be left unpunished beza was therefore not falsifying when he wrote that the issue was ex omnium enim heveticarum ecclesiarum sententia the prisoner himself showed a degree of confidence in these authorities by the appeal which he is known to have made to the churches of zurich schaffshausen bern and basel what were the replies of the swiss magistrates to this reference from geneva those of zurich used these terms in confidence that you will not suffer the wicked intention of your said prisoner to go further which is entirely contrary to the christian religion and gives great scandal and insult and the ministers still more decisively the holy providence of god has now offered an occasion for cleaning you from the suspicion i e of fostering heresy of this evil that is if you shall be vigilant and diligently take heed that the contagion of this poison spread no further which we doubt not your excellencies will effect the magistrates of schaffhausen referred the question to their ministers and sent the reply of the latter which ends thus nor do we doubt but that of your remarkable wisdom you will repress the attempts of this man lest his blasphemies eat as doth a canker still more extensively into christ's members for to set aside his ravings by long argumentation what would it be but to rave with a madman the magistrates of Basel, proceeding in the same way replied by their ministers but if he persevere incurably in the perverseness which he has conceived let him in pursuance of your duty and of the authority granted you by the lord be so coerced that he may no longer be able to molest the church of christ and lest the last things be worse than the first the magistrates of bern wrote we beg of you not doubting but you are thereto also inclined that you will take proper measures that sects and heresies as these are or such like be not sown in the church of jesus christ our only saviour such was the unanimous answer of the swiss magistrates and we think the fact worthy of repetition as being very important in its bearing on the whole affair that servetus after a protracted examination and defence before the senate and after the consistory or ministerial body had laboured to confute and reclaim him appealed to the swiss churches and this before the said consistory had given their official opinion as to the question whether the positions which the senate considered as proved amounted to heresy and blasphemy on the twenty sixth of october sentence was pronounced by which servetus was condemned to be burned alive calvin informs us that servetus two hours before his death sent for him and asked his forgiveness calvin reminded him with all mildness that sixteen years before he had endeavoured even at the risk of his own life to reclaim him and that it had not been through his fault that servetus had not by repentance been restored to the friendship of all religious persons he also endeavoured to have the mode of execution changed to one less barbarous chatillon otherwise called castellio and castalio a declared enemy of calvin accused him of having smiled when the heretic passed the window from which he was looking there is no other alleged proof of this unlikely story m la roche who elsewhere deals harshly with calvin and treats this as a wretched calumny servetus was accompanied to the stake by farel and so far maintained his characteristic obstinacy that he would scarcely allow farel to ask the prayers of the people thus miserably perished this unfortunate and wicked man by a cruel death on the twenty-seventh day of october fifteen fifty three during the whole trial the contumacy and recklessness of the prisoner were remarkable especially did he seem to make it his aim to irritate and sting his great opponent calvin 
in the notes already mentioned which servetus appended to calvin's confutation of his arguments he endeavours to goad the latter by every name of insult which could be foisted in cain and simon magus and murderer are ordinary terms and in the course of a few hundred lines we have counted instances of the lie direct mentherius to number of forty-six yet the replies of calvin are comparatively mild he deals with his opponent as if he scarcely thought him balanced in mind and when sentence was pronounced it is notorious that he used his influence with the judge to procure a mitigation of the punishment but without effect having now reached the close of the direct narrative it only remains to ask whether on reviewing the transaction there is reason to attribute to calvin any motives of personal rancour or any principles of action in the matter of persecution which were not prevalent in his age torrents of obloquy have been poured upon his memory sometimes by unitarians who naturally befriend this great unitarian sometimes by papists who forget that calvin's sins were the mere sequela of a distemper caught amongst themselves and sometimes by episcopalians who know that for one servitus they can number many victims of the like misguided zeal in their own borders we have from the outset conceded the cardinal fact namely that calvin was instrumental in bringing servetus to trial for heresy and thus if you please to execution but we shall ever maintain that it is grossly unjust without the shadow of proof to charge this act to motives which are not charged in a multitude of similar instances it was scarcely so much the fault of the man as of the age at this time of day a protestant can scarcely picture to himself the horrid image raised in the mind of our forefathers by the name heretic a heretic was then as m la chapelle well says a monster of horror an emissary of hell an enemy of god and man this is the notion of common people among the papists to this day judge then how they would talk of a heretic when heretics were almost as rare in europe as the phoenix in egypt did they consult the canon or the civil law or theological standards heretics were excommunicated persons poisoners of mankind public pests guilty of high treason against both human and divine governments a treason capital in the first degree these principles were assumed as self-evident in parliaments and courts of princes by popes and republics in the reformation a sun had arisen on the world but the mists and fogs of a long night still mantled the horizon the doctrine of persecution was a papal innovation which lingered after theological errors had been dispersed it was found in the laws of the empire and in the fathers of the church whose authority had scarcely yet been shaken hence we can pity even more than we blame the inconsistency of the protestants who escaping from persecution became persecutors in their turn to every calm inquirer into the history of religious liberty the injustice of singling out this case will appear most glaring it is calvin's tenets which exasperate the minds of his calumniators else servetus had lain in oblivion along with joan botcher and george van parr the great standing charge against calvin is one which it is hard to answer simply because it is without any proof it is that the reformer was actuated by long-cherished resentment and private hate m chauffepierre has the candour to admit that even if this could be proved it would be a question whether he did not take advantage of the rigour of laws which he believed to be just but it cannot be proved it is as mr scott observes unsupported and even contrary to evidence and is requisite to the solution of none of the phenomena of the case the opinion of calvin is now seen to be erroneous and the act which he approved is condemned as cruel in this we heartily concur 
but the opinion and the act were approved by those very reformers and divines whom it is pretended to bring into a most favourable comparison with the reformer of geneva let us lay open the truth on this point it may be new to certain revilers at least it may stop the mouth of presumptuous slander bullinger the reformer of zurich writes thus i do not see how it was possible to have spared servetus that most obstinate man the very hydra of heresy and in writing to the divines of poland he says all among us in these churches who preach christ and true religion consider as just the capital punishment of a blasphemous and incurable man who derided and abused the whole system peter martyr likewise expresses his opinion that it was the duty of magistrates and princes to serve god by punishing heretics and blasphemers melanchthon who is usually cited and honoured as the mildest of the reformers thus speaks of this affair i affirm that your magistrates have acted justly in putting to death a blasphemer after a regular adjudication this should be weighed by all such anti-calvinists as in their addresses to the popular mind try to play off the moderate melanchthon against the cruel calvin but it is lamentably true that this is not a solitary effusion of melanchthon's feeling in regard to the point in hand m de la chapelle cites another instance little known from the history of one david george in which it appears that a translator of george's work in which the existence of the devil was denied was threatened with prosecution and imprisonment by the reformer himself archbishop cranmer even setting aside his own example held that servetus ought to have suffered death and bishop hall gives his formal opinion that in the transaction calvin did well approve himself to god's church this list of authorities might be greatly increased but it is needless to exemplify further the prevalence of a sentiment which dishonours the christian church while it destroys the malicious sophistry of controvertists who would make one good man the scapegoat of a whole generation it is abundantly made out therefore that even if calvin were responsible for the condemnation specific sentence and actual execution of a heretic as we have shown he is not he only shares this responsibility with melanchthon bullinger peter martyr cranmer hall and the leaders of the lutheran and reformed churches the case might be safely left at this point but we will go further and evince by authentic records that the instance was not singular one might suppose from the angry zeal with which it has been blazoned as the sinister plot on the escutcheon of calvinism that this act of intolerance stands isolated flaming forth with the horrors of a beacon on a hill it is not so all who have the smallest pretensions to historical erudition know that it is not so there are noted examples of heretics being punished in different protestant states let persecution we exclaim with m chauffepierre be blamed and let the execution of servitors be condemned we subscribe to the whole but let us not make it peculiar to calvin to have been under the prejudices of his age more than sixty years after calvin's death we find the same judgment taking effect at geneva in the case of nicholas antony who was burned for heresy in sixteen thirty two in despite of the remonstrances of the ministers who desired the execution to be suspended again in sixteen fifty two by virtue of the same ecclesiastical code though not on the same charge one chauderon was hanged for witchcraft and we are only repeating the words of the liberal chauffepierre mr gibbon's best authority when we say how many vexations have the presbyterians suffered in england under the reign of james i charles i and charles the second i find under the reign of the first neil bishop of winchester caused to be hanged one whiteman a dogmatizer of that time that king 
bishop of london condemned one legate to be burnt for heresy who was executed in smithfield and peter gunther of prussia a farrier by trade was beheaded at lubeck in the month of october sixteen eighty seven by the consent of two universities because he would not own the divinity of jesus christ it is surprising that certain writers of the episcopal denomination should have the effrontery as they have sometimes had to charge the death of servetus on presbytery this event has by some of them been attributed to the gentle sway of presbytery this is very weak argument and very desperate policy not to dwell on its dishonesty the nobler minds among prelatists have seen that common justice and the good faith of history alike repudiate the base insinuation that the common cause of protestantism is wounded by it and that this sort of argument even if it should avail to tarnish presbytery would overwhelm prelacy with contempt we reject it and our cause needs it not in the noted and prominent case of cranmer we scornfully reject it the meanness of charging one good man with the sole offence when all the age were in like condemnation we shall condemn wherever we find it and it is only as a specimen of impotent malice that we cite the following observation of mr lebas the compiler of a life of cranmer an observation written as if to divert attention from the case of george van parr which he had just related every one knows that servetus was burned not merely as a heretic but as a blasphemer that the distinction might be sufficient to satisfy a man like calvin may not be very surprising for what is known of his vehement temper would almost justify the suspicion that he had lived in the age of st dominic he might have sat most conscientiously in the chair of the inquisition as if most studiously to cut off the wretched calvin from all benefit of the plea he had just made for the archbishop that plea we acknowledge as valid and judicious but we lament the ignoble prejudice which appended a gratuitous and false insinuation against the man whom that very archbishop delighted to honour melancholy indeed but true it is that cranmer was concerned at least as much as calvin ever was in bringing to the stake not one blaspheming heretic but not less than four persons of whom two were simple women this is recorded by such episcopal historians as stripe and burnett and fox he did it in his ignorance and we may well weep over the story but let no one who affects to weep wipe away his tears to eject contumely upon a brother reformer found in the same offence it was cranmer who procured the death such are the very words of joan botcher and george van parr and who when the pious edward the sixth with tears hesitated to sign the death warrants added his own persuasions even mr lebas says with regard to joan botcher that he fully acquiesced in the proceeding can hardly be doubted if we are to credit the story so confidently told by his ardent admirer fox and not contradicted by any contemporary writer namely that all the importunity of the council could not prevail on edward to set his hand to the warrant that cranmer upon this was desired to persuade him that even then the merciful nature of that princely boy held out long against the application and that when at last he yielded he declared before god that the guilt should rest on the head of his advisers let this suffice for the abuse of these events by episcopalian writers we are so far from accusing episcopalians in general of this disingenuousness that we believe there are multitudes of the well-informed and sincere whose sentiments are expressed by one of their own writers as follows so far was the church of england and her chief divines from countenancing that unbecoming and absurd treatment with which the name of this eminent protestant is now so frequently dishonoured 
that it would be no difficult matter to prove that there is not a parallel instance upon record of any single individual being equally and so unequivocally venerated for the union of wisdom and piety both in england and by a large body of the foreign churches as john calvin to this we might add the able and learned arguments of the rev john scott of hull whose conclusions are in every point identical with our own that the case is different in many of our popular historical works and in the articles of biographical dictionaries patched up from these by mere compilers who will surprise no one who recollects that in our day history has too often fallen into the hands of sceptics roscoe makes it his especial care to vilify the reformers we may safely leave his allegations to the triumphant answer of mr waterman gibbon as we need scarcely say found it to suit the purpose of his life to degrade the memory of a leading christian but be it noted that the authority chiefly relied on in the preceding details and from whose truly cautious statements we have not seen occasion to vary in a single instance is Chauffepierre, the continuator of bale's dictionary whose narrative gibbon pronounces the best account he had seen of the transaction other writers affected by no predilections in favour of presbytery have had the patience to study and the honesty to adjudicate this perplexing case with different results among these we name the late samuel taylor coleridge an independent thinker a laborious reader of authorities and a professed enemy of calvinism his opinion is as follows what ground is there for throwing the odium of servetus's death upon calvin alone why the mild melanchthon wrote to calvin expressly to testify his concurrence in the act and no doubt he spoke the sense of the german reformers the swiss churches advised the punishment in formal letters and i think there are letters from the english divines approving calvin's conduct before a man deals out the slang of the day about the great leaders of the reformation he should learn to throw himself back to the age of the reformation when the two parties in the church were eagerly on the watch to fasten the charge of heresy on the other besides if ever a poor fanatic thrust himself into the fire it was michael servetus he was a rabid enthusiast and did everything he could in the way of insult and ribaldry to provoke the feeling of the christian church he called the trinity triceps monstrum et cerborum coendum tripatitum and so on this is sensible and just and what might be expected from a philosopher and a scholar for such an one no declamation without proof will be sufficient but the careless the prejudiced and the wicked and especially those who hate the doctrine of special grace and calvin as its triumphant modern defender will still avoid a laborious investigation and repeat in wilful ignorance the refuted slanders of their predecessors this rooted enmity to the theological system called calvinism is the true source of the unjust invective against the reformers conduct in this affair if not why are the similar and even worse offences of other great men altogether omitted or if not omitted mentioned with every phrase of extenuation it is calvinism it is the doctrine of paul and of augustine which has caused this peculiar exacerbation of zeal and after all many seem to be ignorant of the history of this hateful scheme of opinions it is acknowledged by mr john scott himself an episcopalian in the work already named that luther melanchthon and Zwingli at an earlier period of their lives at least held the doctrines of election and predestination which have subsequently been denominated calvinistic nor did those high doctrines says he originate with these persons they held them in common with eminent writers who had preceded them and were members of the roman catholic church and they would i apprehend have been able to support some of their boldest positions by the authority of st augustine himself 
why then is all the odium of these obnoxious doctrines to be accumulated upon the devoted head of calvin who had never been heard of in public life even at the latest period referred to it is our confident expectation that in proportion to the increase of biblical study and the culture of mental philosophy among good men there will be a return to these very doctrines and that the works of calvin as we already see in germany will rise again in the estimation of the church and that his character will be pondered as one of the noblest models of the theologian the expositor and the reformer when this day shall come the calumnies of his foes will find their due level and though no man will ever vindicate his opinion or his practice in this instance any more than the exploded whimsies of the astrologer or the alchemist pious christians will accord to him the praise of bishop andrews that he was an illustrious person and never to be mentioned without a preface of the highest honour meanwhile that the enemies of the reformer's memory ponder the testimony of arminius himself in a letter only two days before his death he says after the holy scriptures i exhort the students to read the commentaries of calvin for i tell them he is incomparable in the interpretation of scripture and that his commentaries ought to be held in greater estimation than all that is delivered to us in the writings of the ancient christian fathers so that in a certain eminent spirit of prophecy i give the preeminence to him beyond most others indeed beyond them all in closing this article we are happy to be able to say that two elaborate memoirs of calvin may soon be expected one is understood to be preparing by mr henry pastor of a church in berlin and great pains have been taken to gain information from unpublished manuscripts and other documents existing at geneva the other biography is that which was left by the late lamented dr mccree and which will be made ready for the press by one of his sons from the biographer of knox and melville everything which the case admits may be expected End of the life of Michael Servetus by James Waddle Alexander.